Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Amen. If you got your Bibles, open up to James chapter 4. That's where we're going to be this morning. Um, As you turn there, I want to remind everybody we are having the Lord's Supper today at the end of the service. And so uh, if you did not grab one of the Lord's Supper element cups on your way in, I want to encourage you to head right back there right now and grab one of those. If you are visiting with us today, I just want to share with you, uh, you do not have to be a member of Willow Ridge Church in order to partake in the Lord's Supper together uh, with us. The only thing that we ask is that you be a believer in Jesus Christ, that you're a follower of Him. And if you are that, whether you go to a Presbyterian church or a Pentecostal church, we don't care, and we'd love to have you partake in that with us this morning. Also, I want to ask you guys to be praying this afternoon. Our Hispanic congregation uh, is going to have their, their last day of revival uh, this, this afternoon, and so they'll be in here. A lot of visitors come. This is usually, they almost double their attendance on this Sunday, and so it'd be an exciting time for their neighbors and their friends who haven't heard or haven't responded to the gospel to be here today, to have an opportunity to hear that. So if you think about it this afternoon, please be lifting them up. It's why I'm kind of dressed up today, all right? Uh, it's, it's not Easter and so, uh, or Christmas Eve, uh, but I'll be around for that. And, and Juan rocks a full suit every week, and so I felt like I could at least go this over my jeans. So uh, we'll be uh, worshiping with them uh, this afternoon as, as well. So we're going to dive right into James chapter 4, starting in verse 13. It says this, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So I hope as we've gone through this series so far in James, and I've gotten a lot of just wonderful feedback as, as God's been taking us through this book of the Bible, that, that every single week that, that we together kind of walk out of here, uh, if you think it's bad on Sunday mornings, like I get to walk through a week of it, right, uh, of God invading those dark places in our heart to reveal the sin that's there, right? And I hope that every single week that that's where we're at. Now, as I've studied this passage of Scripture this week, what it has been is, is a little progressive of an avalanche of rolling down a hill toward me of the clarity of what God's given to me about the sinfulness of my heart as I've read this passage of Scripture and studied it this week. And so I want to open up by kind of throwing this out there and ask this question. How many of you, and we're going to do a show of hands, all right? We're, 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 we're going to kind of see where everyone's at this, this morning with this. So raise your hand if you consider yourself to be a planner. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Good, Steve. Let's look at all of us that, that need to admit right now that we probably have a problem, all right? And our problem are those around us who do not plan, right? That's our problem, 
right? They drive us crazy, right? They don't plan. They're, they're just living by whatever they want to do. And we're there like, no, 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 here's what the plan says. And so we've got to do it. I'm a planner. I'm a planner. And here's how I know I'm a planner. I love spread sheets. I love them. I love them. God gave us spreadsheets, and, and I love spreadsheets. Now, let me say this. I've never done a mathematical formula on a spreadsheet in my life, but I can type up a grocery list in a heartbeat on it, right? And so if you go on my computer and you pull up Excel and you look at all of the spreadsheets that are there, you're not finding math. You're finding lists of things to be done, lists of things to be accomplished. I love spreadsheets. Here's how bad spreadsheets are for me and my family and in our house. I have a spreadsheet for every vacation we go on. I know that's bad, right? But on Monday, I can tell you where we're going and what we're doing. I can tell you where we're going out to eat. I can tell you what we're having for dinner. I can tell you the activities that we're going on. And to the best of the knowledge that I can gain through Google searches, I can tell you how much it's going to cost for us to do that, right? I love spreadsheets. It's a sickness. The moment that I sat down and realized I'm creating spreadsheets for Disney World, right, is the moment I've got to acknowledge that I've got a problem. So I read this passage of Scripture, and it kind of rubs me a little bit. So is God saying, Bo, delete all your spreadsheets? Is God saying, Bo, get rid of this? And I would say to you that this is not a passage of Scripture as we look into this that is a call for you and I to stop planning, to stop thinking about our future. This is not a, a passage of Scripture to have us to stop setting goals and the things that we want to see and accomplish in our life. But it seems like that. So, so, so what is this scripture referring us to? And, and I would say that, that in these first several verses, what we're, until we get to verse 17, what we're going to see is that it, it's not a call to stop planning, but rather it's a call to humble submission. It's a call to humble submission in our life. Now, let's look back. Let's read verses 13 through 16 again. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. So, so this is the scenario. This is the don't do this. Verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So verse 15, what we should have. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast, James says, in your arrogance. So this passage is calling us, it's calling you, it's calling I to acknowledge who we are in our limitations, in our planning, in our thoughts in our goals, in our hopes, in our dreams, to acknowledge who we are in those in light of who God is. And when we fail to do that, it's sin. I love James' bluntness with this for us this morning. It's not that it's just not wise and you shouldn't do that. 
It's not that here's a better practice for your life. It's when you and I cease to acknowledge who we are in light of who God is in every aspect of our life, that's sin. And James doesn't paint a horrific picture of what you and I would commonly associate uh, with when it comes to a person who is shaking their fist at God as they pursue the things of their life that they want. Instead, he paints a picture of what a town would look like, or a businessman would look like, traveling from town to town. This would have been a common illustration. And James has given a warning to those who would read this. James has given a warning for us today that oftentimes instead of viewing ourselves, our plans, our agendas, our goals in light of who God is, we instead view them in light of what the world is. And in doing that, right, and in doing that, what ends up happening is we focus on the material realm and not the spiritual realm. We focus on the things of the world instead of the things of God. We keep our eyes locked on us instead of our eyes locked on him. And so James, is, as he works through this, is talking about your plan. And, and, and underline is asking us this. Does God have a place in your plan? In the plan that you're living out right now. Maybe you're a high schooler in here today. And you've got a plan for after high school. It's military, it's career, it's college. Is God in the plan? Maybe you're, you're, you're married with some kids and you see that debt that's stacked up on one side of your spreadsheet, right? And you've got a plan to attack that debt. Is God in the plan? Maybe you're getting closer and closer to retirement and you know that day and you've got it highlighted You've got it circled. You've got exclamation points written all over it, right? Is God in that plan? Is God in that plan? James is asking us the question, in your life and in my life, does God have a place in it, right? And so when we take our eyes off of him, and we keep our eyes on us, and God is void of that, James draws out some things that you and I forget about ourselves. Sometimes we have to have reminders of our own limitations, amen? We are limited. And, and, and things that James points us to in this is the things that we forget when we leave God out of our plans. Number one, we forget our ignorance. We forget our ignorance. James says this, you do not know what tomorrow will bring, right? This morning I woke up, I heard a sound outside. What's that sound? It's rain. I didn't know it was going to rain. Right? We don't know what tomorrow will bring. We don't know what the future holds. Why? Because you and I are limited into the moment right now. As best as we can, we take educated guesses about what tomorrow will hold. We take educated guesses about what the next hour will hold. But we're ignorant because we're not in tomorrow. And, and here's, without looking at your phone, because some of you got cameras and updates and all those things, here, here's my point. There's no place in your life that you know better than your home right now. But what's happening there? You don't know. You don't have a clue 
And this is what James is pointing us to. How crazy is it for us to leave God out, the one who knows what tomorrow will bring, when we don't know what tomorrow will bring, but we make plans of what will happen tomorrow. All right? This is you not know what tomorrow will bring. So we forget our ignorance. We, we don't know. We can't know. Number two, we forget our frailty. I love the bluntness of this, right? Like, if you believe the Bible and believe you're a big deal, let this verse sink in. You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That's the description he gives us, right? Not necessarily what would go great on a Hallmark card, right? Congratulations, you're a vapor, you're gone, right? And that's it. But our frailty, not only do we not know what will happen tomorrow, but we know that we're not even promised tomorrow. We're not even promised the next minute. And you know this, and here's how you know this. Has death ever surprised you? Absolutely. Not everyone lives to the old age when the doctor says this is what's gonna happen. We're filled with the reality that every day that those who are close to us, those who are around us, those who think tomorrow will be a certainty, next year, definitely, and here's what this looks like. When all of a sudden we get the phone call, and death has surprised us, and it's gone. And James says, why should we be surprised that, that you and I are like a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes, is what he says. And then, and then lastly, for us in this, when we make plans and we exclude God from them, right, we forget our dependence on God. Like That's it for our life, folks. We depend on him. And some of us have taken this, this confused version, this incorrect version of Christianity that says, I'm going to depend on God for my salvation. It's Jesus and only Jesus who can save me. And that's true. And here's where the incorrect comes. But everything else is through me. Everything else is through my power. Everything else is through my ability. Do you remember last week when James is, is talking, we were talking about this, and James says, you adulterous people? That's part of it. That's part of spiritual adultery that we've wandered into this relationship with ourselves where we're dependent on us. And James says, no, 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 that's not it. In fact, James says, here's the correct posturing of your spirit and dependence on the Lord. If the Lord will, we will live and do this or do that. If God wills it, if it's in his will, if it's in his plan, if it's in his purpose for my life, then we will do this or we will do that, right? This is what we begin to see, the dependence on him. And so the problem, though, because James says there's a plan. There's a plan. And if God wills it, we will do this or do that. But what's implied? If God doesn't, if God's not a part of it, then we won't. The problem isn't planning. The problem is planning where God has no place in the plan. And this has caused me this week to take a step back and look at the spreadsheets of my life 
the decisions and the plans and the things that are there and asking myself the question, the hard question in so many of these, but where's God at in the plan? Is he a bullet point? Or is he saturated throughout? And, and, and this is not what James is just coming up with. This is what Jesus teaches. Look at Matthew chapter six, uh, verse Verse 9, Jesus is teaching on prayer at the Sermon on the Mount. And, and he says at the very beginning of that, as he's going to tell them and teach them how to pray, he says, don't pray like the hypocrites, which means this, there's a wrong way to pray. Hypocrites pray. Jesus says, don't pray like them. And then Jesus teaches us how to pray. And he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There's so much that can be taught about. And I believe uh, several years ago we went through this and each one of these verses became a message in a series where we, where we talked about prayer. But, but I want to focus on verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done. What Jesus has is he places this in this prayer as he's teaching those to not pray like the hypocrites. Jesus says, hey, hey, as you praise the Lord and as you plea for him to give you the necessities of life and forgiveness, put this phrase in there that says what you and I desire is the will of God and the rule and reign in our life and all over the earth. That that's the desire of our hearts. Now look at your prayer. Look at my prayer. Jesus says, let your will be done. That's the standard. That's what Jesus says we should desire. That's what Jesus says we should long for. But oftentimes, your prayers and mine, as we're called to submit to his plans, oftentimes reflect our prayers, say, but God, I just want you to submit to my plans. And Lord, I'm going to ask you to bless them. Right? The positioning of the heart. And, and Jesus says, no, no, that's not what it's supposed to be. It's not about bringing what you've determined, what you've decided, what you've sought, what you want, and say, God, bless it. Right? It's about saying, God, what I desire is your will to be done. And, and Jesus doesn't simply say, don't do this. Jesus does this himself. Look, look flip over to Matthew chapter 26. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he awaits his betrayal, as he awaits his arrest, as he awaits his beating, as he awaits his trial, as he awaits his crucifixion, could argue that you and I, if we're being honest, don't have a fraction of understanding of what he's experiencing in this moment. 
He comes to the Lord in prayer and says again, Scripture tells us, verse 42, again for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Not trying to bend for what he would prefer, not trying to input a different strategy into place, but simply says, your will be done. And so James here, I've, I've heard this kind of talked about before loosely in conversations and, and then asked the question, is James 4, 13 through 16, just saying like, well, you know what? God's going to do what God's going to do. And so we're just going to sit back in it. It's not what James is talking about. James is talking about an activity in those who are believers that are humbly dependent and humbly submissive to the Son of God and the will of God, and who long for both of those. Oh, tell me, Lord, what you want for me. Tell me, Lord, what you have for me. And so I was reading an author this week that was talking about this, and he was talking about strategies and long-range planning and thinking through this. And here's what he said. I'm going to put these three points on the screen behind me. He said, when planning, dedicate your plans to God. When planning, dedicate your plans to God. So you're coming to the planning process of what you're thinking about, whether it's the planning process about what you do after high school graduation or the planning of the process for retirement or anywhere in between, anywhere before, anywhere after, and you say, God, I'm going to dedicate these plans to you. So what does that mean? What does that mean, dedicate your plans? That you're saying that the goal of these plans is for your name and your glory. That's it. That's it. It's not for zeros in a bank account. It's not for a degree that we can earn and achieve. It's not for anything else other than God. These plans are for you, your name, and your glory. That's it. And when they cease to not be that, Lord, then bring me back to where they need to be. Dedicate your plans to God. Number two, confess that you need God's favor. Confess that you need God's favor. <laughs> One of the things that I love to ask uh, my kids and, and people is a question that I love to ask myself. Uh, when you have a goal, to ask the question, well, what's the plan? And what I mean by that is, what are you going to do to get there? What are you going to do to get there? Help me walk through and see this step and this step and this step and this step and make sure that all of those steps and that we're not leaving anything out. And then at the end of it, what we, what we see is that we've arrived to this and we can do that and sinfully embrace that in our life. But when we come to, Lord, if this is where you are leading us, that we know in our obedience to you, we cannot do it in our own power. And so, Lord, we're going to confess that in order for that to happen, it's not going to be through my talent, it's not going to be through my ability, but it's going to be done solely through the favor of the holy and living God. And that's it. And I need to confess that to you. Right? So James says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and do that. If it's his favor, Right? That's what we will do. 
One of the best questions that I love to ask myself all the time is, as we're working through whatever it is that we're doing, is God in it? Is God in it? Let's don't get ourselves confused. The difference between earthly success and heavenly success. Earthly success can bring a lot of money, a lot of fame, a lot of power, a lot of control. Right? But it's earthly success, void of God. And so as we go through these, we ask ourselves, is God in it? Which may mean at certain points in times, we have to reevaluate our scorecard. Because it might not end up with the money in the bank account, with the early retirement that we hoped for, with the plans that were there. But those were our scorecards, our determination of what success is. Right? Instead, asking God, are you in it and where do we see you moving? And then lastly, when, when, when planning, we, we need to, to give God praise. Give God praise. All right. I stand right about over here for worship. And if you sit behind me, what you see sometimes is like this really controlled, awkward, I think I want to start dancing kind of thing, right? Like, like y'all know, like Brian Couch, like you've seen that before, right? There we go, all right. Um, and so that song, Honey in the Rock, I'm just going to tell you, like, there's the part of me that's like, I'm afraid I may make a noise really loud and it get uncomfortable in here, right, when that's going on. Like, like, like a woo could happen here at any, at any point in time. So next time we play that song, if you hear that, just like, that's Bo over there, right? Woo! Like just doing that, okay? All right? Because the, the, the picture of what it paints is so wonderful and so beautiful. Then in the moment of all this, there's honey in the rock that God is working, that God is moving, that God is blessing, that God is providing. And in that, we praise him. And there's not a moment in your life as a follower of Jesus that that song isn't speaking true in what you're going through. Regardless of how dry that rock seems. And so as we go through the plan as we go through, as we work to achieve the goals, there's the tendency and there's the bent in us to at the end of it, celebrate the Lord. But the picture of this is all the way through. All the way through. That every lesson is God working. Every moment is God showing. Every moment is God revealing to us who he is. So not only at the end do we praise him for it, but as we're going through it, we're praising him for the process, in the good and in the bad. And, and here, here is why I say this is about humble submission, that we're saying at, at the heart of this that James gives us, is an individual who just says, God, I want to know what you have for me. And I will do what you say do. I will go where you say go. I will give you all the credit, all the praise, all the honor, all the glory. So, Lord, you say go to this town, then, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. And, and, and I'm not going to stay there as long as I want to stay there, Lord. I'm going to stay there as long as you want me to be there, living for your name, for your glory, for your honor. Lord, and giving you praise all the way through the stumbles on the road and all the way on the successes that we experience. 
And that's what humble submission looks like. But, but James is going to wrap up this section for us this, this morning with verse 17. And, and, I, and what we see from this is from humble submission comes godly obedience. Look back at verse 17, chapter 4. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. It is sin. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. So there are, are two types of sins. Right? There's sins of commission and sins of omission. These are the sins that we see in the Bible, the, the sins that we experience in our life. Now, sins of commission, you and I are really good at identifying. Maybe not always being obedient about the sins of commission, but we're really good at identifying them and knowing them. God says, don't do this, right? Now, sometimes we don't do that. Other times we do that. But those are what sins of commission are. So God says don't steal, but we steal anyways, right? Do not do this, but you and I, we choose to do this. But then there's also, and this is what James is, is giving us here, there's also the sins of omission, where God tells us, do this. And instead of doing it, whether intentionally maybe even sometimes ignorantly, unintentionally, we, we, we don't do it. And this is what James is pointing out. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So as you go about your day and as you're going through the plan and as you're going through the opportunities of what God has for you, God says, do this, do the right thing. Very simple, simply in the words of James. And then James says, the solution is pray about it. James says, the solution is think about it. James says, the solution is gather a group of people whom you trust and ask them the question, should I do this thing that God told me to do? No, that's not at all what James says. James says, when God says, do the right thing, he says, then do it. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to seek counsel about it. You just do it. Do the right thing. But sometimes that can be hard. We know the biggies, right? We know the things we're not supposed to do. But what about is just, we're just meandering through and going through life and the day in, day out decisions that we make to leave this job, to take this job, to date this person, to not date this person, to put this much in retirement, to put this much toward debt. What do we, what do, we, what do, we do? But James has already said, this is in the mindset of the person who's walking through everything and dedicated it to the Lord, who's committed the Lord to be in and of and through the process. And James says, then in that, you do it. I want to close with a story from my life. As I went through this this week, it was a very evident picture of times when I seen that I needed to repent in times that I've seen where God's given an opportunity for, for obedience in my life. Years ago, years ago we bought a house. 
bought a house. You, you've bought houses. We bought a house. And we, before we went and looked at houses, we went and we wrote down. We had discussions with our, our kids. We talked about our hopes and our dreams. And, and we wrote down a list of things that we, that we wanted for this house as we made this move. And so we made the move. And we went and we looked at houses all over the place. And this house didn't meet these check boxes. And this house didn't meet these check boxes. And this house didn't meet these check boxes. But then we came to this house. And it met every box that we had. Everything that we ever wanted, that we had thought of, that we had dreamed about, that we had seen in the house, every box was checked. So we bought the house. I don't want to speak for, 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 for me. If I'm being honest and, and, and transparent with you as I've walked through this this week, what I did was I left God out of the process. I asked Aaron what she wanted. I asked Emma what she wanted. I asked Grayson what he wanted. I wrote down what I wanted. And in that process, left God out of the plan. Now we stayed there for some time and, and just being honest, it's like every season of life, we had our ups and we had our downs. But if I were to look back and assess the time that we were there, well, I'm grateful through what God brought us through there, there was a struggle about living there. There was an uneasiness about why are we here? And I never forget one day, Aaron and I, we were getting ready for bed, we, we were in our room, and we were talking about moving. And, and she said this. She said, we just need to pray about moving. And as a pastor, you would think that that would have been something that I would have said, oh yeah, absolutely, but it just kind of resonated with me. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. But, but there's all of these things that we don't like here. So is this something we even need to pray about? And she said, yeah, we need to pray. And so we came up with how we were going to pray. Prayer part number one, God, if you want us to move, then move us. God, if you want us out of here, then God, get us out of here. Prayer number two that we prayed, Lord, take us to the house and to the neighborhood that you have for us and make it clear that this is where you want us to be. And then number three, and God, we're going to praise you through it. Now I would like to tell you that the next morning we put that house on the market and made a fortune off of it, right? But we didn't. For about two years we prayed that prayer. And every time it wasn't right, it wasn't right, it wasn't right. And then God, we began to see not where he was working, because he'd been working. But we began to see what was God was doing over and over and over again. And we said, yeah, now, now, it's, now it's time. And we went and looked at houses all over Lexington. Y'all know Lexington. Can I tell you what Lexington has a lot of? Lexington has a lot of houses, right? And this was before it was crazy to get a house. Like right now, I think you've got to have like 150% down like to get a home and, you know, like, you're going to pay three times the value of the house. Like, like that's not where we were then or anything like that. And we went to houses and we went and saw some wonderful houses and in wonderful neighborhoods. And we were those clients, right? Nah, not it. 
What's wrong with it? I don't know, but that ain't it, right? Next house, that ain't it. Next house, that ain't it. Next house, that ain't it. And then in the desperation of our realtor's voice one Saturday, (laughs) I heard him say, I've got one last house for you. Like, all right, we'll go look at it. But honestly, at this point, I'm thinking, it ain't gonna be it, you know? And so we went to the house and it was a new construction and we were walking through it and we liked it. And our realtor got excited. But then we saw another house. And we said, what about that house down the bottom of the hill that's just framed? He's like, well, that's not sold. Let's walk down and look at it. And so we walked through. A house of two by four studs and plywood. Lines marked where electrical and plumbing are going to go. And in that moment, there was a holy confidence that that was it. We didn't need to think about it. We didn't need to pray about it. We didn't even talk about it. This was it. Now, does our house, and it's the house we live in now, does our house check all of our boxes? Is it our dream home? It's not. It's a wonderful, wonderful house. Does it check all the boxes that we had? Does it check all the boxes that we have? No. Are there things about our house that drive us crazy? Yeah, absolutely things that we wish were different, that we can't change, that we wish we could change. We've had the conversation, Aaron and I, will this be the house that we grow old together in? No, it's on the, our bedroom's on the second floor, right? I don't want that. I don't want that at 43, you know? It's like, I gotta go to bed, I'm on the couch. I don't wanna walk all the way up there. It's 12 steps, all right? I don't want it. But are we in the house that God called us to? Yes. Yes. And and here's how I know that. Of two years of praying, God, we just want to be where you want us to be. And so God put us there. And it's a wonderful home. Not because it's the best home, but it's because it's where God has put us and placed us and called us to be. And my family knows what I'm talking about. I don't think there's been a moment that a week has gone by where we haven't seen and experienced the ministry that God's called us to in that home, right? So you want God to bless your plans? Don't do what I did. Don't create your own checkboxes. Instead, do what God taught us. Pray that God will bless your plans. Dedicate your plans to the Lord. Confess that you and I, we are limited, that we need his favor. 
and, and praise him. Praise him. The house that we were in, some of the hardest years of our ministry, some of the hardest times in our marriage, some of the hardest times as a family. But you know what? God taught us and God brought us through so much. And we are where we are today because of him. So we can praise him for it. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning. We're just seeing so many different times where we set in our mind that this is what we're going to do. We're the king making the plans. We're the master determining what's right. We've got it figured out, Lord, but instead, Lord, we need to humbly come, humbly submit, Lord, ourselves to you. Or this can be one of those things where we see and we walk through and we experience and, and we try to make it ease away that this isn't sin in our life, but Lord, but it is. It's the sin that we've fallen into time and time again. Where we've become our own master, our own determiner of our plans, worthy of our own praise and our own adoration. But Lord, you call us to something more, to something different in our lives. God, bring us to your sweet, sweet throne of mercy this morning. And may we live, may we pray, may we plan our lives. Not out of the ignorant wisdom of this world, but out of the holy wisdom that comes from the Lord. And Lord, if you will it, may we go from here and do this and do that to bring all honor and glory and power to your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.